This morning, we are going to continue our Nehemiah series, and we have landed on Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, Nehemiah chapter 5, um, at face value, if you read it, uh, we'll read it in a moment, but if you look at it, it looks like it's as if it's talking about feeding the poor. But if you read it in context, now that's what I like to do. When I read the Bible, when I preach from the Word of God, I like to read, I like to see the big picture and then kind of like dissect it and then kind of bring it down to bite sizes, which I hope to do this morning. But if you look at a big picture, you will see that Nehemiah chapter 5 is actually about conflict. Now, Nehemiah chapter 4, it is about external conflict, and then next week, I believe we will see Nehemiah chapter 6, and it's also about external conflict, but Nehemiah chapter 5 is about internal conflict. Nehemiah, a man anointed by God for a, with a mission to go back to Jerusalem and build, rebuild the walls. And I believe some of us here, we have a mission from God, whether it is to build something here in the house of God or whether it is to build a business and all that. Can I tell you something? You will most certainly face opposition. You will face opposition externally, but you will also face opposition internally. But remember this, do not fear opposition. Remember, a kite rises against the wind, not with it. This morning, I want to prophesy to each and every one of you sitting here and those of you sitting at home. The wave that has come against you will not crush you, but it will cause you to go higher in Jesus' name. And this is what Nehemiah had to do. He had to face opposition. And when you are facing opposition, you are not going the wrong way. In fact, you are going the right way. It is normal and it is necessary to face opposition. Normal to face it, but necessary to even overcome it. So if you've got opposition externally, if you've got opposition internally in your ministry, in your uh, business teams or whatever it is, do not fear, do not fret, because it is normal you are going on the right track. So I'm going to read the Bible, uh, Nehemiah chapter 5. Hey, family, is it okay to read the Bible in church? Yeah, it's okay to read the Bible in church. We're going to read Nehemiah chapter 5. So if you're at home, I want you to turn to your Bibles. I believe it's going to be on the screen and on the slides, but let's read Nehemiah chapter 5. Now, Nehemiah chapter 5 says this, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and through our children, though our children, sorry, are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting, Nehemiah says, to deal with them and said, 
as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people, only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continue, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? And I, my brothers and my men, are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. 1% of the money, grain, new wine and olive oil. We will give it all back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way, may God shake out all their house and possessions, anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. And the whole assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord and the people did as they promised. Verse 14, Moreover, from the 12th year of, from the 20th year, sorry, of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until his, third, his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine, their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of the reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall, and all my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were very heavy on these people. Remember me with favour, my God, for, for all that I have done for this people. May God bless the reading of His Word. The title of my sermon this morning is this, Conflict at the Church O. If you're wondering what sort of title this is, it is actually in reference to a band. Hey, if you know the name of the band, light it up in the chat room. You will get a free ticket to church next week, right? right? If you know the name of the band, but Conflict at the Church O. That is the title of my sermon. Now, a little bit of context as to what is happening in Nehemiah chapter 5. So, we know the story of Nehemiah. We've been on this study for a while now. Nehemiah, the people of Israel were brought back from exile in Babylon. They were exiled there for 70 years. And they came back and um, Nehemiah gathered them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So imagine this. They were lost in a land, sold to slavery for 70 years in a place far off where they did not belong. And then now they come back what has happened is that some of the Jews got richer, but some of the Jews got poorer. But then the richer Jews started taking advantage of the poorer Jews. And Nehemiah, being the leader that he is, the great leader, is, he says, hey, this is not right. We have been sold to slavery for a long time, and we have broken that pattern. We have broken from sin. Now we're back here, but amongst you, there is still sin. Amongst you, you are doing the wrong thing. And if you look at the Bible in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, 
It says this, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. Do not charge a fellow Israelite interest, whether or money or food or anything else that may earn interest. So the people of Israel, though they had left exile, but they themselves were still spiritually exiled. It's kind of like the people of Israel, when they first left Egypt, they got out of Egypt, but Egypt had not gotten out of them. That's why God had to give them the Ten Commandments to tell them, to show them how to live. So now Nehemiah, what was he doing? He was faced with this monumental task. Even though he completed it in 52 days, he was faced with this huge task of rebuilding the walls, but yet he had to stop to deal with conflict within his own ranks. So I've titled this message, Conflict at the Church, because while the church has a big mission, I don't know about you, but do you know that the church has a big mission? The church did not exist just to be a building on the street with songs coming out of it. No, the church is built to reach the world. We have a monumental task ahead of us to reach the world, to change lives, to transform people. But yet, there are times there will be this thing called conflict. Because wherever people go, there will always be conflict. There is a saying, right? There is no perfect church. And if you manage to find the perfect church for the love of God and all things pure, don't join it because you will ruin it. And I will ruin it as well. There is no perfect church. So I want to just go with three points from this sermon this morning on what to do when there is conflict in the church. The first point is this. When there is conflict in the church, go through the right channels. Go through the right channels. Here, what happened was the people of Israel, the rich, the poorer Jews, they had an issue, so they brought it up to Nehemiah, the one who could do something. In fact, the way we resolve conflict in the church should be biblical, right? Matthew 18 tells us this. Jesus says this in verse 15 to 17, Matthew 18. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out your fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is the Bible, my friends. It's, it's this, right? Some, version, some translation says, if a brother or sister sins against you, first of all, go and talk to them. Do you know a lot of problems can disappear if we talked to people rather than talked about them? If we're awfully quiet in this brethren church this morning, right? A lot of issues can be resolved if we talk to people instead of talking about them. In fact, people who like to gossip, who like to spread, you know, um, who, like to, who like to just kind of like go around talking about their problems but not really addressing it, they have no intention of resolving their issue. They, in fact, want to be equipped for it. But let me tell you something. A person that gossips to you will eventually gossip about you. 
if we want to have a church that's united, we need to talk to one another, be honest, be open, and we have to go through the right channels. There's this saying that in church, the devil remains neutral, but he, he supplies ammunition to both sides because that is the goal of the enemy. That is the desire of the enemy, that we don't be united, that we will, be, we will allow certain things to get into the way. In fact, James chapter 1, verse 26 says this, those who consider themselves religious yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. My friend, it ain't me coming up with this stuff. It is from the Bible. You can check me out. Psalm 101 verse 5 is this, Whatever slan whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate. And you know, when I, when I was reading the Bible and I came across this passage in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19, it says there's six things the Lord hates and seven things the Lord finds detestable. Can you imagine that? Our God, who we consider a God who is all love, all mercy, all grace, there are things that He actually hates. And two of those things that is mentioned in Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 is this. One, a person who pours out false testimony. And two, a person who stirs up dissension or discord or disunity in the church. You know, as I run a, a, a young people ministry, often I get complaints, right? I tell, I get complaints from people saying, have you seen what the young people are wearing? You know, have you seen how they are coming to church? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? I have even some people tell me, you know, you ought to kick some of these people out of church if they don't know how to dress or if they don't know how to behave. Now, to me, my philosophy is as simple as this. Jesus never rejected sinners. And sinners come in all shapes and form. But I will tell you something. I have kicked people out of the youth groups before, and the only people that I kicked out are two people, predators and people who stir up disunity. People who love to gossip. People who love to, you know, because they have an issue, rather than deal with it, they go around and they, they want to talk to the leaders about it. Now, you may be going, why? What if... If I tell the leader, no use, because the leaders will surely protect their own. What if, how can I trust that the leadership will do the right thing? In fact, what if the leadership did the wrong thing? I'm glad you brought that up because I have something else in the Bible to show you. You know the story of David? All, how many of you know David? In this place, can you give me a, give me, just wave at me. How many of you know David, right? Now, David... What happened was, we all know the story of David. He was a shepherd boy, but then suddenly he was anointed to be the king of Israel. And you know, great, great, great destiny and story there. But also, along the way, a lot of opposition, a lot of conflict that he had to um, go through. And one conflict he had was with his mentor, his boss, his king, right? And that was Saul, because Saul was essentially jealous of David, and Saul wanted to kill him. In fact, if you read the Bible, there are two very clear instances in 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26 where David 
had an opportunity to take matters into his own hands. He could, he, in those, in 24 and 26, he actually found himself in a position where Saul was vulnerable and he could kill Saul. And in fact, in 1 Samuel 24 verse 4, David's man tells him, look, Saul is over there. He's doing his business. The Lord has given you this opportunity. Kill him and let's finish it. But David says, I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will not lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Verse 26, so his right-hand man, Abishai, you know, they find Saul sleeping and his men in the camp. And they go, and he tells David, David, do it now. Just kill him. But David replies, no, I will not do this. Let me tell you something about David. We think David's greatest test was killing Goliath, but his greatest test was actually not killing Saul. That was David's greatest test. That when a conflict comes into the church, it is a test of our hearts. When our leadership disappoints us, it is a test of our hearts. And I've been in places, I've been in situations where I have both disappointed people and I have been disappointed by people. But my friends, we got to recognize what sort of conflict or issue it is. If it's a technical issue, I was having a lunch with Elder Kuntat a few weeks ago and he told me this, he said that when we, when we first moved to Bangunan Yin, the people complained to him, the chairs are too hot and the aircon is too cold. Any of you feel this way? The exit is, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, he, and, and you know, as, as, a, as a worship pastor, I also get a lot of complaints. The worship is too loud. The music is too loud. The music is not um, traditional enough. The music's not modern enough. So all of us have an opinion. But we have to recognize, is our issue technical? Is it moral or is it theological? Let's not major on the minors. Let's remember, as Nehemiah remembered, and he, I'm sure he reminded the people as well, hey, we have a greater calling. So if there is a conflict, go through the right channels. And it is not up to us to take revenge. It is never, it is, revenge is not fitting for a Christian. Romans 12, 19 says this, right? That, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Revenge is not fitting for a Christian. Even if you have been wrong in the church, revenge is never the way. Let me tell you something. If you only want to get even with people, you will never get ahead of them. And there, were, there was one time, right, a, a, a person um, was disappointed by me a long time ago. They left the church now, disappointed by me. Started going around saying all kinds of stuff about me. Now, I know this person well. And, I, I, and some part of me wanted to retaliate and say, you know, all these things that this person did. I wanted to defend myself. But the Lord rebuked me. You know what the Lord told me? He said, John, if you want people to like you, don't be a leader. Go and sell ice cream. And I was like, yeah, you know, I'm sure that's what Nehemiah had to do. I'm sure that's what some of us, some of you have been called to do. You have a mission, a calling on your life. 
make sure you guard your heart, go through the right channels and build the right things. Now, the second thing is this, when there is conflict, respond with concern and compassion. Respond. This is for the leaders. Respond with compassion and concern. Now, in verse 6 of Nehemiah 5, what happened was when Nehemiah heard all these things, when the poor Jews were being oppressed, he got really angry. He got really, really angry. And verse 7, uh, a strange phrase is that he says he pondered or he talked to himself. It basically means that he gave it careful consideration. You know what? As leaders of the church, as leaders of any organization, you should always have compassion and concern for those people that you are leading and shepherding, just as Nehemiah did. And in this day and age, compassion is a rare commodity. Now, it's easy to have sympathy, but compassion isn't sympathy. Do you know what sympathy is? Sympathy is just this, oh, I know of your issue and I feel sorry for you. I'm sorry that happened to you. I feel sorry. So we pay what we, what we do, what we call pay lip service, sorry and all that, right? But compassion is not just sympathy, it's also empathy. Empathy means is that I want to know how where you are coming from. I want to see what you see. I want to feel what you feel. And compassion is a hallmark for a Christian. When with a church, you know, I believe, just as Nehemiah was doing, it's not about programs, it's about people. There is a program. Nehemiah had a program. He had to rebuild the wall, but he also had a responsibility to take care of the people. So for all of us, all of us, right? Just not just leaders, cell leaders, we're all of us. Let's show compassion and concern to people whenever they bring an issue for us. I want to show you this picture. This was a headline that I saw a few weeks ago. Um, it says this Ryan Reynolds um, join, uh, offers $5,000 for a lost teddy bear. Now, for about 10 minutes or an hour, this news was trending. Right? What's the big deal of a teddy bear and why would Ryan Reynolds pay $5,000 to help find this teddy bear? This, my friend, is a picture of compassion. That Ryan Reynolds would, would think about this person, right? I, I actually read a little bit, it's a little bit silly to me, but then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go along with it. Right? That this person lost their teddy bear and I'm sure Ryan Reynolds, he's rich, right? He'll be like, what's so great about a teddy bear? Right? Just buy a new one. But this mattered to this person. What did he do? He responded with compassion and concern. So for me, it's this, right? Yeah, you can bring up any issue. And every and as leaders, we had a responsibility to listen and to respond with compassion and with care. But then our responsibility, which leads me to the last point, is when there is a conflict in the church, we have to bring the needed correction. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah listened to, the, listened to it. Nehemiah recognized there was an issue and he corrected it. Let me say something this morning. You cannot conquer what you refuse to confront. I know as, as Asians, right, that is not within our nature to confront. In fact, there are two extremes. One is that we will avoid all forms of confrontation whatsoever. And another is that at every situation we want to confront, right? Both are neither healthy nor helpful. But Nehemiah confronted the issue. As leaders, as people of God, 
let's bring about the needed correction when something is wrong. Because listen to this, correction is not judgment and correction is not rejection. A lot of times we see correction as a personal attack. But, but look at it this way, right? God corrected people. In fact, Hebrews says the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. Now, I have a little daughter. Now, um, you know, she's wa- she could be watching this from home. Sorry, baby, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to talk about you for a moment, right? Now, I have a little daughter right now. Um, they, there's this thing called terrible twos. And before this, I was a man of faith. I was like, nah, this is, uh, I declare, I prophesy, no such thing in Jesus' name. But then, right, so my daughter has not turned two yet. She's turning two in September. But then suddenly, my daughter has a mind of her own, right? She, for a while, she loves, she, she would drink from a cup. And after she finishes, she celebrates by chucking the cup really hard onto the table and onto the floor. So there was one time, right, I, you know, she did that. And I smacked her on the hand. I said, don't do that. And I put the cup up and put it back on the table. You know what she proceeded to do? She picked the cup up, looked at me, and chucked it on the table again. And I was like, oh, it's on. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> you know? right? But when my daughter misbehaves, it's, when I correct her, it's not because I want to reject her or judge her, but because I want her to be better. So listen to this. Correction is to better, not to batter, not to beat on you, not to hit on you. And as Christians, if we are serious on this discipleship theme, right, we are, our church is a great focus on discipleship right now. If we are serious on going on a discipleship journey, it will take you and I to do that. I will need to correct you sometimes. Leaders will need to correct you sometimes. And we will need to be corrected as well. The key is, is how do we respond to correction because you know correct submitting to correction is a very spiritual thing do you all know that praying for people is a spiritual thing leading worship is spiritual speaking a sermon running a cell it's all spiritual but how we respond to correction is also very spiritual when nehemiah rebuked the rich people of israel what did they do they immediately repented and they corrected themselves. They showed the right posture. And with the right posture, do you know what they could have done? They could have then moved on to face further opposition in Nehemiah 6, and then they can go on to complete the mission. Because here's the thing, if we don't settle some conflicts that we have within us, whether it is amongst the pastoral team, not saying there is, but I'm just giving a hypothetical situation, whether it's in your cell, whether it's in your ministry, whether it's in the church, especially in the church, we cannot go on to fight, win the greater war. We will get caught up with all the tiny little battles that the devil wants us to fight, and we will miss the war that God is calling us to champion and to overcome. I'll read one last scripture before I close, right? Um, sorry, Proverbs 9. Proverbs 9 verse, verse 8 says this, Don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. I want to be a wise person. I don't want to reject correction. I want to welcome it and I want to become a better disciple, better father, better husband, whatever it is. And 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says this. I just want to 
look at this scripture because it kind of like relates to what Nehemiah was doing. He said this, it says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I want to say this, the Bible never demonizes riches. The Bible never condemns being rich. The devil, the Bible condemns the love of money, not money in itself. Being poor is not spiritual. Being rich is not spiritual. Being spiritual is spiritual. Kind of like taking from our tagline, you know, strong is not um, small, big is not um, strong. I kind of lost myself uh, for a moment there, right? Big is not strong, small is not strong, strong is strong, right? I will leave us with this thought. John 13 verse 35. You know what Jesus said? The world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Interesting how Jesus didn't say the world will know you are my disciples if you had great events or if you preach great messages or if you build a great following. No, it says that if you love one another. Last week, Pastor Chu talked about how we wanted provision, not division. And you know what provision, how provision will come? Unity. The Bible says when there's unity, right, it commands a blessing from God. And let the house of God be united. Let the church of God be united. Let us as people of God put aside all our petty little squabbles or issues or vendettas or agendas and let's put it aside for something greater and that is furthering the kingdom of God. Let's all rise in this place for those of you who are here with us physically and those of you online, let's begin, let's be prepared to respond to this message. And in response, we're going to sing this song. This song basically is a prayer offering ourselves unto God. And as we sing, why don't we worship before we close? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's sing, Here's My Life. Here's my life. I bring every single piece. All as an offering to you, Lord. All as an offering. Oh, would you let your fire go? Whatever that you're carrying. 
why don't you just surrender it to God right now? We give it all to you, Jesus. We all relent. times we want to we think God only wants the best part of us but God is also seeking the inner part of us some of some parts where we may not show many people whatever grudges or conflicts that we have can I ask you in Jesus name and by the word and the authority of the Bible will you give it to God Will you submit it to God? Not because your issue is not important, but because there is something greater, and that is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of God. So I want to challenge you, brothers and sisters, whether you're watching online or you're here, whether you're from our church or watching in from somewhere else, I want to encourage you, if you have a conflict with a fellow Christian brother or sister, Go and settle it. And even if you can't settle it, let go. Release that person onto God. Because unforgiveness is like poison. And it's like you drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. And that's not good, my friends. That's not, let, don't let this spiritual cancer grow in you. 
So let me pray for you, wherever you are. After this, we will have an online prayer room. You can go there if you need to connect for those of you watching online. But for the rest of us, let's commit this unto God. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray even for myself, whatever grudge, whatever, um, whatever ungodly thought or feeling that I have towards my fellow brother and sister, Lord, I, I ask for forgiveness, Lord, I repent, and I ask that you help us, Lord, fight for unity, that we will keep the house together so that we can climb greater mountains, we can take down the, the forces of darkness, Lord. Lord, I pray that you minister to every person perhaps is carrying a memory or an issue, whatever it is, you minister to them. You help us, God. Help us live through your word by your Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.